Welcome to the Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. This is the Conversations half. We'll be talking about what to do after the call. I'm Kevin. I'm Michael. And today we're going to be talking about this morning's sermon by Deacon Ross Murray. He's responding to the readings today uh, where some prophets, Amos and John the Baptist, are speaking up to power. And I think a great place to jump in is actually with the children's sermon, where he simply explores the the times when we need to just say, stop it to people in our lives and confront them about um, something they're doing that maybe isn't okay. I think the the great thing with the children's sermons is how how simple they are. And sometimes it can feel really complicated, uh, especially in an age where they're, they're so many different avenues for action and it can be intimidating, but really it's, it's just as simple as just saying, stop it a lot yeah. of the times. And it, it, it's just br- breaks it down really simply to, to how we, we stand up when something needs to be either advocated for or opposed or when someone's doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Ross asks the kids, like, are there times in your life when you've had to say to your parents or a teacher or someone in your life, just say, stop it. And, um, yeah, for me, that's such an easy way of framing for myself. When are, when do I look up to people who seem like they have, that, that have authority over me and might feel like I need to, to say, stop, stop doing that because that's unjust or because that, that makes me uncomfortable or, um, doesn't align with my values or with the values of my church. And I think, for me, it can be really intimidating to speak up to power. Yeah, I think the the, the sermon did a, a good job at, at talking about, yeah, that speaking truth to power uh, and how difficult that can be and just how, how challenging it can, it can be, even if it is as simple as just saying, stop it. It's never really quite that simple because uh, part of the, the sermon touched on was the real consequences of speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. It's not always comfortable mm-hmm. hearing it, hearing it from the kid's perspective, speaking to an adult that was comforting, but then hearing it in the actual texts, scripture text from today, those stories are less comforting because it doesn't speaking. Amos comes in at a time of Israel's prosperity and speaks to the King and it, it doesn't work out their consequences for Amos Oh, he's, right? yeah. he's banished. Uh, he's told to flee to, to Judah, I believe. And he just says, I'm, you know, I'm speaking you know, the truth, the, the power. He advocates this truth. He says, this is what I've been called to do. Uh, but it doesn't negate the consequences. It means that he accepts the consequences and accepts that's part of, of what's going on. Uh, and the same with John the Baptist. He, he is put in prison for speaking up against, uh, against king herod and he eventually is killed he eventually is executed and those consequences are real and tangible and do not go away just because you're doing the right thing sometimes doing the right thing uh is is not going to end in a fairy tale fashion yeah yeah so if we're called to do the right thing as Christians, are are we okay? 
Michael, are you, are you okay? <laughs> How do you feel about the potent, about the bearing the potential risks of, of saying and doing what's right? Oh, I Does think that it, scare you? Or? Oh yeah, I, I think it should it should scare you. It should be something yeah. that is that is scary. It shouldn't prevent you from doing it. Uh, but I think it's as Christians, we're not called to uh, to live in ignorance. We're called to live with full knowledge of what what we're facing mm-hmm. and what the mm-hmm. world is like. Uh, if we're not afraid and not aware of what those consequences might be, then we're kind of being willfully ignorant mm-hmm. um, or or naive in sort of thinking that it's okay. God will take care of everything. Yes, God is in control. God is sovereign. God will uh, ultimately take care of us, but it doesn't mean that the consequences aren't real. Mm-hmm. And what God calls us to is not to avoid real consequences, but to trust God in all of that and to trust God's control of that situation and know that God is working it for, for God's own glory and yeah. for, for God's, for the gospel. Yeah. And it's a, for me, it's, it's a privilege to get to be a part of that, to be called to do that work. Right. Even I, if there's risk involved, like that's, it's kind of like by walking into that fear and taking those risks, like that's what gives life meaning though, you know, that gives life purpose. And I try and remind myself that, uh, yeah, that I'd, I would rather, I would rather have a life of purpose than have a life of comfort. I mean, we're we're playing with live ammo. The gospel is alive. Mm. It's not safe. It'd be nice if it were safe, but the very heart of the gospel that you know that God sent him His own Son to uh, to to die for the world and to change the world to to subvert our expectations of who is mm. high and who is low is it's not safe it's inherently unsafe it's inherently not meant to make us comfortable it's meant to challenge our notions of what should be and to shape our notions of what is yeah to 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 challenge us yeah because jesus's message was totally counterintuitive to the uh the structure of the political structure of the roman empire at the time and to the structure of the church with uh, these, you know, high mighty Pharisees um, bickering over minute rules, mm-hmm. you know, um, and even though it wasn't in a big part of today's text, you know, I I can't help but draw a parallel between Amos and John the Baptist and Jesus, and while you know, spiritually, you know, in our faith we see Jesus's death and resurrection as this this central and um, absolutely incredible and amazing and um, you know reason to rejoice part of God's plan but when you look um, at the surface level of like what was what was happening on the ground you know it, it was Jesus was killed because he was a radical threat to the powers that be and um, both both the Pharisees and the, the um, religious institutions and the that area of the roman empire jesus died not just because he was walking into that intentionally but because of what he was saying to power yeah people aren't 
imprisoned or suppressed if they're thought of as not a threat. Mm-hmm. He's inherently a threat because he advocated against uh, the norms of the day, and he he advocated for for rethinking how we relate to God, how we understand our relationship with God. Um, he 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 at the same time that he uh, pushed people to really think about how they were acting and how they were acting toward their neighbor, also called people to seek after god in in new ways and to draw closer to him than was was typically expected or uh acceptable and it's yeah it's just he would jesus would not have been suppressed if he had not been a threat he he was a considered dangerous and the gospel is dangerous mm. um and it it becomes sort of this it 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 becomes a question of trying to remember when when we need to start flipping over some tables jesus flipped over tables um when we need to disrupt the status quo the gospel inherently disrupts uh the status quo and i think as christians we are often in the minds that we need to be in peace with our brothers and sisters and uh with all people and we seek the peace of the gospel but it's important to remember the flip side of that is that that peace cannot just be for its own sake. The peace is for the sake of the gospel and it's for advocating the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, a lot of times the, in order to have peace and love with your neighbors, it's what you're really actually shaking up, going to need to shake up the community around you. You know, it's, it's, it's in God's house that Jesus is shakes things up. It's not like he's not pointing fingers at some other country or other people. It's, it's in the heart of everything that he says, what we're doing here is wrong. You know, these people are, have opened up market inside of a temple and that's what he calls attention to. A lot of times the people that, that Jesus made uncomfortable or surprised were his own disciples, his right. inner circle. And he often did that by, the radical way that he welcomed the, the outsider person. So, you know, Jesus was opening his arms to the Samaritan and to people, neighboring people who (laughs) were scandalized and feared and kept a distance from in his time. He was opening his arms to people who were sick and had, had leprosy or were blind that were just ignored by people in that time. And he opened his arms to children and women and to the poor, you know, all, all these people who are left out of the inner circle. And usually it would, it would shake up hit the inner circle the way that Jesus welcomes. So I think about today, like a lot of times I feel like it's, we need to speak to our own communities and shake up our own communities in order to be radically welcomed to the people who are being left out and oppressed. Right, and and there's a difference between peace and simply not fighting or lack of conflict. Lack of conflict does not mean peace. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Deacon Ross mentioned in the sermon that it's not uncommon for people to unfriend other Facebook friends on mm. because of political views yes. or not have certain conversations with their family. And I think that's been the the struggle of every every family every thanksgiving uh mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but 
simply not fighting is not peace. Peace is being in one accord with each other. And that peace is on God's terms, mm-hmm. not ours. Yeah. Um, and if that peace is not being made on God's terms, the welcoming of all people, the advocacy for for the truth and the gospel with Jesus at the center, then it's not true peace. It's not real peace. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be advocated for. I, mean, I think Luther said, um, you know, peace were possible, truth at all costs. And that truth should mm. lead to God's peace. Mm. Um, but but we shouldn't accept a, you know an imitation of what God's peace is. We should be advocating for and trying to find and fight for uh, what that that true peace is. So I think that's a good segue into um, a second point we'd wanted to talk about is where's the line between civility and complacency? When does engaging in civil conversations and being polite with people, when does that turn into being complacent and not saying stop it when we should? And what it, what is the balance between keeping that peace with a neighbor and speaking the truth of the gospel? How do we navigate that line and know where we are on it? Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not entirely certain all the time. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a difficult line to walk, uh, certainly, but it is one that we're called to, to discern through, you know, through prayer, through, through actually knowing our neighbors. We can't really understand, uh, what is too far and what is not enough if we don't understand our neighbors and we can't do that without conversation getting to know them and welcoming them in. Yeah. I, when I think about in particular about where the line, where, where we step over the line into complacency and even complicitness um, in something that is, that is unjust that, that is happening around us. You know, I look, I look to history and I think about, you know, I remember being in high school and, and sitting in history class, learning about the Holocaust in Nazi Germany and, and hearing about how, the, you know, the, so much of the population of this country was just com- complicit and complacent about these terrible, terrible things that were happening around them. And it, it just, it boggled my mind. Like, how could people let this happen? I did, I really didn't get it. And then I learned that, you know, that people of faith would also be complacent and let these things happen. Not all. There are plenty of, of great Lutheran figures that were like putting their necks on the line, going to jail, you know, sheltering Jewish families, like doing great things, but not all. And so I, I, I just wondered that. And now as like an adult, you know, American citizen, it's, I'm, I'm scared to say that it's like, I can r- relate more that it's not, I'm not so flabbergasted at how people could be complacent with bad things happening or governments perpetrating immoral acts because, you know, I see things like I look at the, the detention centers for children and like the, that were, that we put children in cages and it's, I'm outraged. And at the same time, it's far away. I have a grocery list and like my day-to-day life has been affected zero because I come from this place of privilege 
And I realized like how easy it is to just say, that's a shame and keep on living my life and do nothing. And like who that it deeply upsets me. Who am I? What tables has I, have I turned, you know, who am I talking to about it? And, um, and what, what is the best outlet? Because I've been having conversations about it with people, but you know, I know because of, who my representatives are and where I'm zoned. I know by calling them, like whenever I call them, they're on the same page that I am. And they're like, yeah, we know we're trying. And I think that that affirmation that their constituency supports their actions is good, but I, I, I wonder what more I can do. And I'm shocked by how easy it is to do nothing when we live in a society of, for, for the, people of privilege of kind of really easy comfort, endless entertainment and distractions and an intense work culture that keeps us all really busy. And, and, and also that uh, I think a lot of people we, we do, we try to avoid those messy situations as much as possible. They're mm. not fun to think about. It's easier to put on the news, a story about the latest celebrity gossip or uh, something that is equally, uh, problematic but doesn't have as high stakes when we deal with those high stakes and realize that uh that something is going on that we're not stopping it becomes more real and it makes us more complicit so in the in the sermon and the the the, uh the gospel text that's king herod king herod is someone with the unique position to be able to free john the baptist or to do something uh, to listen to uncomfortable truths. And he doesn't want to listen to the uncomfortable truth, but he also doesn't want to get rid of this charismatic, compelling figure. So he puts him in prison as kind of a, a middle ground step so he can keep him around but not actually have to deal with the what he's saying. And he eventually decides that keeping his, his oath is less detestable than murder Mm. and has John the Baptist executed. And he's, he's one of those figures who could have very easily either listened and, uh, and sent John the Baptist on his way or could have made clear his disagreement early on and punished him. He, he tried to pick a middle ground. He tried to avoid the conflict and the nasty conversation or the nasty, issues that were at hand with it. And I think that's something that in a very different context, a lot of us do. We mm. want to avoid yeah. the things that the, the, that are going on either in our community or in our world uh, that are deeply, deeply troubling and problematic because it's easier to focus on the things that have lower stakes. It's easier to get outraged sometimes by, uh, or to let ourselves get outraged by something small than by something monumentally important. Something that could be followed with, okay, we'll go change it. You know, so I, I, things that hold, that hold us accountable to take action. Yeah. The, the being held accountable to take action puts us in a position that, uh, that, makes me squirm. It can make me squirm sometimes Yeah, to know that something needs to be done. Uh, 
and not just something needs to be done, but something needs to be done that that has a tangible impact that puts your skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's easier to stay out and to, you know, send a tweet or sign a petition or say someone else will take care of that uncomfortable conversation with a friend um, than Mm -hmm. to risk your own uh, reputation, to risk your own safety or comfort. And I think we're hidden a lot from it as Christians in the United States because we're often not in any actual danger, but there are people around the world who advocate uh, for the gospel and for people who are in dangerous situations and they advocate for that with their own lives. Uh, and I think that it is, it's difficult to get past our own comfort to be yeah. able to, to speak truth to power and to, to try to protect people who are, are vulnerable. Yeah. It's difficult for me. The, I feel like the biggest struggle isn't even um, fear or for me, the most difficult thing seems to be time. I feel like I need to be investing more time into these issues of, of justice and standing with the oppressed. And then yet I feel like I'm too busy. And, but then that prompts me to ask, well, busy with what? Like, why am I deciding that these other things that keep me busy have more priority over being a part of these issues that I, that I say on podcasts and at, with friends and at church that are so important? Um, and I don't know, I'm thinking about how I might be able to shift those things because right now I feel like I am not uh, speaking to power. I'm not doing enough. Um, because I haven't found or carved out, you know, the time to say, I'm going to figure out how to do this most effectively. I'm going to show up to the meetings. I'm going to show up to the marches. I'm going to figure out what I can do because that takes research and time and all this stuff. And, um, and then show up and do it. Yeah, I I was um, astounded this past uh, Lent season. I wanted to try to do something different, and I I thought it, with everything that's going on in the world, I wanted to try to to pick up something for Lent, and I tried to, to take at least one action a day uh, of of some sort of action or advocacy, whether that was calling a congressman or representative or mm. going to a meeting or going to a march or something. And it, on the one hand, it's, it's incredibly illuminating because it helps you see there's a lot that needs to be done. And part of the impetus to action is the thought that this takes time. This, this puts me out and it, it once you get past that and make it a commitment, it can be easier to, but it's all, it was also, illuminating about myself and and about how I often try to resist action and how it is also human nature that we often don't want to get involved in things that don't directly involve us. Uh, We want to, it's easy. It's much easier for me to get involved in activity for something at my university because that 
directly impacts me and I mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a lot harder to get involved with something that seems further away. Absolutely. Part of, part of, of our duty as Christians is to, to realize and to accept that it all affects us. We're, you know, all people are children of God or people made in the image of God. And so when things affect them, it affects people who, who are made in the image of of God, who are made by our same creator and who Jesus died for. Uh, And it, it can be easier to get annoyed at the people around us than to take a step back and say, Jesus died for these people. Let me love them. Let me advocate for, uh, for what Jesus died for and rose again for to try to bring all people to God. (laughs) Wow. You're right. It's really, it's from that perspective that we can feel connected to people and issues that otherwise feel far away. Remembering that we are one in Christ. We are, we are one people with many different expressions and, and cultures and, um, and we're all created in the image of God. Yeah. We're, we're this one human family, you know, and that how easy it is to forget that. It's so, it's so much easier to divide ourselves as, mm-hmm. uh, as, you know, Christians versus another group or by uh, national origin. We, we have so many different labels and, and ways to divide ourselves and and don't get me wrong, a lot of those labels are important, important to understanding yourself and understanding your relation to other people. But when they're built up as walls to prevent us from mm-hmm. connecting with other people, to prevent us from connecting to the gospel, uh, it, it's a, a problem. And we should be able to get and remember that we have greater identities than, than those. And that greatest identity is that one that God links us uh, through to everyone. <laughs> I think uh, one final point we should touch on is that you know whenever we talk about religion and politics and social justice, a uh, a debate that is in the air um, is you know how how can we be sure that the political gospel that 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 we see in the bible is is in fact the gospel and that we aren't simply using the bible to reaffirm our pre-existing political views um you know for many times throughout history people have just simply used the bible to affirm something that they already believe for personal reasons for political reasons for some an ideology that comes from another place and um i i think we always need to be mindful and checking ourselves about whether we are also doing that yeah the the gospel is political i mean i see it i see it and that, that deacon ross was saying it and you see look at the actions of jesus in the context of the roman empire and their social the justice he speaks calls a chain for a change to systems of power as it does today. But what is the message? Different churches will see it very differently in the same text. Well, I, I think most churches, most people uh, are okay with the notion that the gospel is political. It, it becomes challenging 
or uh, or not as acceptable when you say the gospel is political in a way uh, that has nothing to do with your politics, that has nothing to do with your own preconceived views of of what the world should be. That it, that the gospel is political, yes, but it's political in ways that should make everyone uncomfortable and should challenge everyone. It's important that we try to accept and acknowledge that and to know that that God calls us to be on the side of the gospel, not to say that the gospel is on our side. It's very easy to say we have this view and scripture backs us up, the gospel backs us up, but that can be used to construct so many different arguments to the point that it it loses sight of the fact that God's not a Republican or a Democrat. God's not conservative or a liberal. God is God, and God calls us to be on on God's side, not to to say that God is on our side. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That is so true. That is so true. I think we can and should be really mindful of, of really s- using using the gospel then as our starting place and not starting from another view and then look then looking to the bible second of how how can this affirm you know what i think right when you start at the gospel it it fundamentally shapes and transforms how you think about other things if you start out with your own views then you i feel like you'll try to tie yourself into knots you know, justifying why the gospel doesn't actually say what it says, why the gospel supports you, uh, rather than starting with the gospel and letting that shape how we view things in in our personal lives, in our interactions with other people, in our interactions in the world, uh, that it, it starts with the gospel at the center and then shapes the rest of us in ways that shouldn't shouldn't leave us complacent and shouldn't leave us uh, untouched, unchanged. If you're really listening, the gospel calls all of us to a to a love, to a justice, to a, a, a unity, to an inclusion of the other, the neighbor, that is outside of all of our comfort zones and that challenges all of us, no matter what your views are on anything else, yeah, political, social, scientific, any anything, um, and wherever you're coming from, it God's vision is really beyond. It's 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 on a level of its own. Amen. Yeah, and um, that that should be you know. There's that old gospel song, "Keep your eye on the prize," and like that. Keep your eyes yeah, on the prize, oh yeah. Lord. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm talking about, and um, and I think that to me that is like where where our sights sh- should be set, and and where our compass points. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening. Our services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in English and 12.30 p.m. in Spanish at 93rd and Broadway. You can find out more about us at www.adventnyc.org or come visit us any Sunday. Uh, and we'd love uh, for you to worship with us and hear our sermons in person.
See you next week.